0: that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I was watching a program on the television while visiting some of my grandchildren the other day. I gather that the gist of the program that they had on the TV was to monitor the cheapest people in America. And now let me tell you, these people had some weird things to say. For example, a couple that shared one toothbrush between themselves to save money, or shared one piece of dental floss to save money. Another couple went to see the undertaker to arrange to prepay for their separate funerals whenever they might have happened to be, but to pay now all at the same time so as to save money. I said weird, didn't I? But the one that irritated me the most was the mother who thought that she was being frugal by pre-arranging her daughter's wedding. She was trying to convince the baker to lend her the store's artificial cake display, one made of hard plastic, to use for the pictures at the wedding and had her sister make a common, simple, cheap sheet cake to actually use for the guests to eat at the reception. But the thing about this stingy mom's wedding arrangement That really stole the show for me was when she surprised everyone by coming to the wedding as the officiating minister to conduct the ceremony. Apparently, she had been able to arrange for a minister's license through an online service on the Internet. She claimed that by conducting the ceremony, she was able to save $350 and she cautioned the daughter and her soon-to-be son-in-law to be careful with the model cake prop because they had to return it to the cake shop after the wedding. I felt sad, really. In my simple, old-fashioned approach to life, a child's wedding should be one of the most important days of their life. It should be approached that way. It is also a reflection of the relationship that Christ has with the Church. It should be sanctified and special occasion with solemnity and dignity starting their lives together in a wholesome and uplifting way anticipating a mutual love and dependence on each other providing a protection and wholesome environment in which to bring their children into the world to teach and to guide them what i described to you about that word mother is the antithesis of these values in my opinion
1: Taught the sun where to stand in the morning Who told the ocean You can only come this far And you showed the moon falling star, well I know my Redeemer lives, I know my Redeemer lives, let all creation testify
0: That description that I just gave, including my simplistic approach to life and marriage, is so far away from my perception of perfect or even normal. There's no comparison. It was so shallow and without depth. In my opinion, it was in desperate need of serious overhaul. It was really in need, bereft of wholesomeness and the special effects and aspects that, again in my opinion, should be clear and certain hallmarks of one of the central tenets of our culture. And that is the real problem, isn't it? Everywhere and all around us, people are tearing down the things that we hold precious. Here a bit, there a bit, something has changed. New words are introduced to our vocabulary. Parts are changed or left out altogether, especially the faith parts. All references to God or Jesus are omitted or dropped. Traditions are changed purposely. Gone are many of the standards that existed and in their place are shallow, groundless, sound-good-but-mean-nothing replacements. The thing that I did and the way of my philosophy has pushed the standards that we once had. We are poorer, I think, as a result. Standards are lowered and life is less valuable and worthwhile. It will become apparent as we look down the road and then chance to look back one day. I wonder if we will actually like what we see
2: crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more. storms come no more. Let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore, in that land where the tempest never comes. Passes by. Passes by.
0: And now, with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus
3: Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fifth message in our series started on Mother's Day and planned to conclude on Father's Day that focuses on the biblical purpose of marriage. We have named this series Marriage, Its Divine Purpose and Devilish Perversion. Our overall thesis is that marriage is designed to show what God is like and to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. Last time, we studied the practical ongoing judgments and curses that resulted from the first couple's sin we now call the fall and which resulted in the devilish perversion of marriage. Now, if you missed the previous messages, we encourage you to sign on to the church's website at www.calvarybible.org.bs. You'll be able to listen to the entire series of messages there. The site address again is www.calvibible.org.bs. We are now looking at the judgments God imposed upon the couple specifically. Note that it is given in the context of God's curse of Satan via the serpent. Now this is such an important aspect of our study that I believe is worth a while for my reviewing of the latter part of my previous message so we can get the context, especially with respect to Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 through 20. First note that it was the serpent that was cursed, not the woman. I quote now verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 3. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel." That is the first curse imposed by God as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, and it's a far-reaching one, to say the least. In fact, the divinely imposed war or conflict between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman, who is Christ, and those who belong to him, will be the reason for the entire history of the world. It still goes on today, of course. A spiritual war between the seed of the woman through whom Christ came and the seed of Satan through whom the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be the final climax. This is a real war and it goes on every day. But so is another war that is a reflection of this unseen spiritual war. It's a war or struggle that exists between fallen and unredeemed husbands and wives For authoritative rule in their marriage and in their home. I will validate this perspective from our text as we proceed with our exposition. But before doing so, let's look at another important result of God's judgment upon the woman. Now, as I've mentioned before, it is important to note that the woman was not cursed per se, but she was, of course, judged nonetheless. This is an important distinction that we will see as we go along in our series. Note also, and this is also important, the focus or locus of the woman's judgment is her relationship to her husband and her role as a mother. That's the area of judgment, both of which were involved in God's original mandate to the couple in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 30 where the bearing of children was designed as a blessing from God. The text says there in chapter 1, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Child rearing was to be regarded as a blessing from God and as a result of a harmonious relationship between husband and wife. That was and is an essential part of God's divine purpose for marriage. However, now, because of the sin of the first couple and Satan's perversion of God's purpose for marriage, the mandate to procreate is now to be fulfilled through multiplied pain in childbirth on the part of the wife and mother. This, my friend, was not a purpose of God's... This was not a part of God's original purpose for marriage. So what a heavy burden it was that the mother of all living, Eve, imposed upon all mothers since that time, because of her disobedience to the word and the will of God. Now let's take a closer look at verse 16 of Genesis 3, which is our major focus for today's study, and it's an important one. Quote, Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, notice that there are two aspects of this condemnation, this judgment. Some call it a curse. So, notice also the major paradigm shift here. As a result of Eve's sin first, childbearing could now be regarded as a curse because of both the physical and emotional pain of both bearing and rearing children. This has caused a completely negative view of parenthood to develop on the part of many women, and it has impacted their attitude towards such things as abortion and birth control to prevent what God designed as a blessing, but Satan has distorted to become a curse. This warped perspective of the purpose for children caused by sin takes away from the intimacy and stamp of divine approval upon sexual relationships between husband and wife. As a result, rather than experiencing the full ecstasy that God intended for husband and wife to experience when they give themselves totally to one another in sexual intimacy within the marriage relationship, the fear of pregnancy imposes a rigidity and coldness that perverts this holy activity. What a tragedy! But something else is perverted within the marriage relationship as a result of Eve's rebellion. And that is the fact that the harmonious relationship of two co-equal partners to the gift of life as designed by God is forever disturbed and perverted with bitter rivalry between husband and wife within the marriage relationship. In other words, the woman's created role as co-ruler with her mate is perverted and distorted. Notice the last part of verse 16, where God says, and I quote, And you, referring to the woman, will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you, end of quote. Okay, now please get ready for some real Bible study here. There are two major views regarding desire in this passage. First, some say it refers to Eve's sexual desire for Adam, which means that the truth being taught here is that in spite of pain involved in childbearing, the woman will still desire to have sexual relationships with her husband, as this is a natural God-given desire. However, the implication of this view is that the curse or divine judgment is that an ongoing tension would be created in fulfilling the mandate to bear children, that is, because women be less inclined to have children because of the physical pain involved. In other words, although some women will cherish the thoughts of celebrating Mother's Day, many of them will not desire the process that leads to motherhood. Hence, the the tendency to adopt measures that either prevents conception or those that terminate conception after it has occurred. The second view is that the desire referred to here in Genesis 3.16 is a desire that women will have for the man-God-given position of authority. The either being that women will continue to desire independency apart from the headship or rulership of the man, even as Eve did when she partook of the fruit without referring to Adam. But the text says the man will nonetheless continue to have dominance over her, but not as first intended by God. The implication being that the curse or judgment is that the tension will exist between husband and wife regarding their roles. That will create an ongoing struggle that disrupts the harmonious relationship as intended by God. The woman will want the same authority as the man, but the man will seek to retain his God given role. However, he will now have to do so with force. This struggle and tension to answer the question who is boss in a marriage and family will be experienced by all who do not apply the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to their marriage, and so they still live under the judgment and condemnation of the unredeemed life, the life under Adam. This, I believe, is the accurate teaching of this passage, my friends. Let me give you another solid additional biblical support for this position, and actually it's found right in the next chapter of Genesis and specifically chapter 4 and verse 7. It is in the context of God's confrontation with Cain after he refuses to accept Cain's offerings of worship. God asks him, Cain, why are you angry? And he continues in verse 7, and I quote, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now, please listen to this next phrase carefully. Quote, It's desire is for you, but you must master it. End of quote. My friends, that is the precise statement made by God in chapter 3 and verse 16. And in fact, this is the only other place in the Bible where this grammatical construction with regard to the term desire is used. Now, it is important to note that it is used with a negative connotation. Notice again what it says. Quote, its desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, this desire is not a good one. It is sin crouching at the door. The desire is an evil one. And so the application of Genesis 316 is is that Eve's sin frustrated and perverted God's rulership image in the marriage relationship. As a divine judgment for her sin, the man will now have to rule over a resistant woman rather than rule with a cooperating submissive helpmate. As a result, God's image is now seen in man and woman under sin. In other words, God's original purpose is marred and distorted because of sin. And because of this, the true nature and meaning of a shared authority among equals in the married relationship as it is in the Godhead cannot be adequately demonstrated as intended by God. Such a situation can only be experienced by those who apply the effects of the redemptive work of Christ to their marriage. The most godlike act a wife can do, therefore, is to be submissive to her husband, because it reveals what God is like in his character within the context of his relationship within the Godhead, in which each member of this divine unity is submissive to one another. Thus, to repeat this awesome principle, the most godlike action a wife could ever do is to be submissive to her husband, even as members of the Godhead are submissive to one another. This is the key to oneness and unity, both within the Godhead and within the marriage relationship which reflects it. Now, friends, this is really something to think about, isn't it? Please, think about it. As always, this is Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think, and act on these things.
4: The great commander's promise He will surely come again